Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord to us and all of history from Acts 26. It's Paul giving his testimony to King Agrippa in the presence of Festus, the governor. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to the small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent, Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it wasn't done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. 
Amen. Good morning. Do you know anything about cave fish? Because I didn't until this week. But cave fish are fish that live in caves. Uh, And caves, in case you didn't know, are places with like no light and not much food for fish. So cave fish have developed all kinds of different adaptations for surviving in a place with no light and not much food. So things like they have bigger fins so they can swim more efficiently and they have smaller bodies so that they don't have to eat as much because they can go for a long time without eating. Also, kind of the big deal, and the reason I'm bringing cave fish up to you, (laughs) is that their eyes aren't fully developed. They don't really need eyes when there's no light, right? And what's interesting about cave fish, so their eyes don't develop fully, but they've done some studies on them, and what they've discovered is that young cave fish in, in particular, if you put them in a in a room with light, and then make a shadow across the light, that they will react. They will swim towards the shadow. They will continue to be in shadow. They choose the shadow when given the option of light. In other words, they like the dark. They're happy in the dark. They can receive some light. But what's interesting, again, as they grow older, they lose the ability. So, Older fish, when you wave in front of a a light, in front of the older cave fish, they don't react. They lose the ability to react as they get more accustomed to the dark. Human souls can do the same kind of thing, can't they? The more time we spend in the dark, sometimes the less able we are to receive or notice the light. Or at least the more likely it is that we won't want the light when it actually shows up. We're happy here in the dark. We get comfortable in the dark. We can actually learn to shrink back from the light. This week is the second Sunday of Advent, and this week we're looking at Acts 26. Paul is sharing the good news. The light has come. Jesus has come. The invitation for us this week, and for Paul's listeners in the passage, is what will we do with the light? What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we so accustomed to living in the darkness that we aren't able to receive the light? Jesus came as a baby to show that God is near to us. He is with us. When God showed up, he experienced pain and opposition and suffering and persecution and even death. But in the end, the light overcame the darkness. So in our caves, as we're learning to swim around in darkness— Are we waiting expectantly for the light? Are we going to remain cave fish when the light shows up? Or are we going to follow Jesus into the light, into liberation, forgiveness, life, and the joy of resurrection? That's our question for today. Let's pray and jump in. Father, we give you thanks that you sent your son to us. Jesus, you are the light of the world, and we praise you. Without you, we're just swimming around in dark caves. But with you, we have liberation and freedom and hope. And so we praise you this morning. Holy Spirit, continue your work as we uh, look at, your, at the scriptures this morning. Continue your work in us. 
Help us to develop our spiritual eyes that we might see you and be drawn to and follow you into the light. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of reminders as uh, we look at kind of the background of this text. First, last week we saw how Paul has appealed to Caesar. So he's on trial, and Festus wanted to send him back to Jerusalem, but Paul says, no, I appeal to Caesar. So he's going back to Rome. This is already set in motion. But Festus doesn't know what to say to Caesar. Festus doesn't know what to write in the charges as he sends him to Rome. So he's invited Agrippa to come and hear Paul so that he can have something to say, some charge to write as he's uh, sending Paul to Caesar. So that's why we're here in chapter 26. Uh, Last thing is that Paul and Agrippa are different kinds of figures with different kinds of chains. Paul, of course, is standing in physical chains. Agrippa has different kinds of chains. J. Vernon McGee puts it this way, Agrippa and Paul, what a contrast. One of them is in purple, the other is in prison garb. One is on a throne, the other is in shackles. One wears a crown, the other is in chains. Agrippa is a king, but in the slavery of sin. Paul is a chained prisoner, rejoicing in the freedom of sins forgiven and liberty in Christ. Again, Paul is standing there in chains, but has great joy. Agrippa has wealth and power, but he is trapped by empire and by his own desires. And just as a reminder of who Agrippa is, kind of in history, I'll put up on the screen there. So this is Agrippa's family tree. It's complicated, and there's lots of inbreeding and all kinds of stuff. So kind of gross. But um, up at the top is Herod the Great. That's Agrippa's great-grandfather. I think last week I said grandfather. I apologize. It's great-grandfather. Herod the Great was the one when Jesus was born, when the light showed up as a baby, Herod the Great was the one who said, kill every infant boy in Bethlehem. Kill them all. I don't want anything to do with the light. So Herod the Great's son... King Herod Agrippa's great uncle, Herod Antipas, is the one who has John the Baptist beheaded in the Gospels. And when Jesus stands on trial before Pilate and then he goes to Herod, it's Herod Antipas that he goes to. King Herod Agrippa I, Agrippa's father, was the one who imprisoned Peter and has James killed. And then we get to King Herod Agrippa. Now Agrippa, you There's other things here. So uh, Bernice is Herod Agrippa's sister. Bernice and Agrippa may have had an interesting relationship. Question mark with the heart. I like that on the awkward. And then Agrippa's other sister, Drusilla, was the one who was, in Acts 24, is married to Felix. The one, remember, Rod was trying to come up with the power couple name. I think it should be Drulix, by the way. That's the one that I like. But you go with whatever you want. Okay, so Agrippa wants to be king of the Jews, wants power, wants wealth. That's kind of what he's about. And so he's basically submitted himself to Rome, to Roman rule. He basically wants what the Romans have to offer, which is money and power. So he's basically trapped in a kind of slavery to Rome. Despite his wealth and power, he has to give all his loyalty over to Rome. He's the king of the Jews— but he's trapped by Rome. 
So, in this passage, when confronted by the light of Christ, what is this powerful, wealthy king going to do? Well, Paul's testimony in verses uh, 4 to 23 is one of Paul's greatest speeches. And it's before probably the most powerful, wealthy audience that Paul ever gets, at least that we have in Scripture. Maybe he went to Caesar's court and spoke before them. But this is one of his greatest speeches uh, ever. Uh, There's three major themes that I want to look at. First, um, he's going to weave together Jesus, the resurrection, and the prophecies of the Old Testament. So a lot of it has to do with prophecy and fulfillment of prophecy. Second, he wants to weave together Paul's own story of going from darkness to light. He wants to tell us his story and how one moves from darkness into light. And third, he wants to say Jesus is the Christ and Jesus is alive. Okay, so first the prophecies are true. I want to look at verses 4 to 8 with you. He says, The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they've known me for a long time and can testify if they're willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion living as a Pharisee. And now, it's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Paul starts by saying, look, I was a Pharisee. I know the Old Testament. I've lived as strictly as anybody can have lived. Everybody knows this. If you go and ask Jerusalem, everybody knows. The problem that the Pharisees have with me now is that I actually believe the prophecies were going to come true, and I believe that they did. I believe the prophecies, and I believe they did come true. He'll say this again in, in 22 and 23. Look, all I'm saying is that the prophecies have come true. The Old Testament said it. I just believe that it happened. Several prophecies here that he's pointing to. The first one is that the Messiah would come. The Old Testament in several places talks about the Messiah's coming. In fact, you can make a case, I think, and Paul will and Jesus does, that the whole Old Testament is about the coming of the Christ. He is coming. Second, Paul wants to say the Messiah has come, yes, and that the resurrection has happened. The Old Testament's believed in the Messiah and talked about the possibility of a resurrection that would accompany the Messiah. Now, almost nobody, basically nobody, believed that the Messiah would die and rise again. That was a new thing. But once you have the key, once you have watched Jesus, then you can go, oh yeah, actually the whole Old Testament says that. The Messiah was going to come, he was going to die, and then God would raise him from the dead. Resurrection happens to the Messiah before it happens to the rest of us. So first the Messiah would come. Second, resurrection would come with the Messiah. And third, and this, this is one that really made the Jewish leadership mad, is that once the Messiah establishes kingdom, it was going to include both Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles are now included. They get to be a part of the kingdom. So those are the three prophecies that he's specifically referring to. And Paul is saying, look, the Messiah has come. 
resurrection has begun. And the Gentiles are included. Paul and the Jewish leaders initially, they, they all believed in the Old Testament, but for some reason, the Jewish leadership missed the Messiah. They believed the prophecies, but when the fulfillment of prophecy came, they missed it. I want to just suggest some reasons, some possible reasons, why they might have missed it. Why did they miss the light when the light finally shows up? First, maybe they were just too busy doing religious things. Do we get too busy doing religious things? There are always things to do, but do we make space to see? We had, the young adults had a silent retreat yesterday uh, that Cynthia led us in. It was a great, great day. We had a really good time. I confess that when I showed up, the, the goal was to see Jesus and listen to him. When I showed up and wanted to rest and start listening and seeing Jesus, it was hard just to sit in silence. And I had so many things on my mind. I got a sermon to prepare for. I got kids to pick up. I got things to deal with. It's hard just to sit and look for Jesus. Keep our eyes open for him. Maybe this Advent, I suggest or invite you to find time for looking and listening to Jesus this season. So maybe they were just busy. Maybe the Jewish leadership had settled into the darkness and they were comfortable there. They were okay. They acclimated to their surroundings. They weren't waiting for the light anymore. Sometimes we get like that, too. One of my favorite songs off one of my favorite albums by one of my favorite bands, uh, Nickel Creek's uh, Why Should the Fire Die? The song is called When in Rome. It's the first, first song on the album. And it says, the, the last verse starts, Where can a dead man go? A question with an answer only dead men know. But I'm going to bet they never really feel at home if they spent a lifetime learning how to live in Rome. Do you get what they're saying there? If we spend all of our time and energy learning how to live here, then we're never going to be satisfied with there. We're, we're acclimating ourselves. We're developing, we're losing our eyesight. We're developing bigger flippers so that we can be happy in the darkness. When the light comes, we're never going to want it because we're satisfied here. Are we doing that in our lives? We were not made for Rome. We were made for the kingdom of God. And he's inviting us into it. We were not made for the dark. We were made for the light. And he's inviting us to follow him into the light. So first, maybe they got busy religiously. Second, maybe they were just happy in the darkness. Or third, maybe the Jewish leadership was too focused on keeping the boundaries clear making sure they knew where the cave ends, that they had stopped looking for the light. Their eyes were deteriorating. They were getting comfortable with darkness. Do we sometimes get too focused on the boundaries, on the things that make us mad or offend us, rather than keeping our eyes open for the light? It's real easy to do that. Do we keep watching out for people who make mistakes or use a kind of language we don't like 
or are involved in a culture we're not interested in, or start down a so-called slippery slope, if we're interested in seeing and hearing things that don't offend us, we're going to miss a whole lot of light. Just as the Jewish leadership was offended and challenged by Jesus, and so they missed the Messiah. The hope that they'd been waiting for, they missed it. Paul says, that's where I was. I was enraged by this Jesus person. I was so enraged, I was going to kill and arrest anyone who claimed the name of Jesus. I was in Jerusalem, I was arresting him. I was even headed out. I was on my way to Damascus to arrest people who claimed the name of Jesus. And then, the light. Cynthia already read it for us, but it's just beautiful. Um, I was on my way to Damascus, and then about noon, King Agrippa, verse 13, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Jesus appears. Paul is content in the darkness, and Jesus shows up in light. And the language here, I just want to point this out, the language that Jesus uses is the commissioning of a prophet kind of language. So he's quoting the Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and a couple others. He's quoting them to say, so when Paul's telling a story, he's quoting Old Testament prophets to say, I was commissioned as a prophet of God. So that's maybe one of the reasons why this version reads a little different than other versions of the same story, Acts 9, Acts 22, and other places, where Paul doesn't use quite the same language. But his purpose here is to say, I am a prophet of God called to bring the word of God to Jew and Gentile, and especially to kings, like Agrippa. It's the same language. Get up, go, here's where I'm sending you. That's what Jesus says to Paul. He's a prophet. Jesus is sending Paul as a prophet to Israel and to the nations. Now think about the role of Old Testament prophets. First, they told people about how to live as God's people. How do we live? Second, they told people about the coming Messiah. And third, they confronted kings and rulers. They confronted the powers and authorities. What does Paul do here in this passage? First, He tells God's people how to live. Verse 20, repent, turn to God, do the deeds appropriate to repentance. Second, he's speaking about the Messiah, except it's not a future speaking anymore. It's the Messiah has come. He's here. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, who has risen from the dead and is now Lord. And third, he's standing before the guy who claims to be king of the Jews and before the powers and authorities of Rome— and confronting them and saying, your way of life is over. Resurrection is here. Jesus is king, not you. He's serving the function of an Old Testament prophet, except in the New Testament. The thing has happened. Jesus is Lord. So Paul, after he's knocked down by Jesus, he says, I had to follow. What else could I do? The light had come. I had to go. I'm preaching Jesus as Lord to Jew and Gentile, and this is why the the Jewish leadership had me arrested and why I'm here. But the reality is this. I was living in darkness, and I saw the light, and I could not stay in the dark. I could not unsee what I had seen. 
I had to follow Jesus. Can you tell a similar story about being encountered by Jesus? Now, not all of our stories are, most of us probably weren't thrown to the ground by a blinding light. Like, that happens. But that's probably not normal for all of us. But all of us are being encountered by Jesus all the time. He is here. I had lunch with a, with a pastor in um, Vancouver once, in the Vancouver area, and he had been in a Southeast Asian prison because he was a terrorist. He wasn't directly linked with Al-Qaeda. He was indirectly linked with Al-Qaeda, though. He was in prison in Southeast Asia, and Jesus showed up in his cell. Just showed up. And he's like, I don't know what to do with that. So he got a Bible in a language he doesn't speak, couldn't read it, and God gave him eyes to read what was in the text. He allowed him to understand, and he followed Jesus and is now pastoring. God is doing that kind of thing all over the world today. Dreams, visions, and Jesus is showing up in the flesh to people today. My own encounters with Jesus don't look quite like that. They're a little less dramatic. But I have had encounters where I knew, Jesus, you are the real thing. I remember sitting on the sidewalk in Vancouver. I, when, when, uh, when I was going to school in Vancouver, I would wait for the bus. I had to take the bus to school every day. Grace had the car. I, so I took the bus, and I remember sitting at a bus stop with a homeless friend, and we would chat sometimes. And one of those days, he, he said, bless you, and he gave me his cross necklace. And I just it's one of those moments that you don't forget. Like it was one of those Jesus is here moments. I've had other encounters reading scripture where Jesus just shows up in the scriptures. My study of Revelation over the last several years has been very unsettling at times, but also an encounter with Jesus. Our community and in worship, Jesus will show up and you just know this is real and I got to follow this light. I often encounter Jesus in literature. It's just me. You don't have to be like me. But I, I encounter Jesus in literature, and um, Grace will tell you, Dostoevsky does this to me. One of the worst encounters was in the book The Idiot, where it's this kind of picture of who Jesus is, except it's a Jesus without grace, forgiveness, and the resurrection. So, like, it's a kind of really nice guy who builds community around him and does really nice things for people. And I was like, yeah, I like this guy. I want to be like that guy. And at the end of the book, there's no grace, no forgiveness, no resurrection, and everybody ends, off, ends up worse off at the end of the story. And I was like, I, I was devastated when the book ended. I was just undone because my picture of who kind of Jesus was, it, was, it hit too close to home for me that I wanted a Jesus without resurrection. And it undid me and forced me to look, okay, that's not the real Jesus though, is it? Jesus really has raised the dead. He is alive. Again, not all, not all of our encounters are as dramatic as Paul's, but Jesus is showing up all the time if we will keep our eyes open to him. He is alive and he's moving people from darkness to light. I want to spend some time in verses 22 and 23 because this is the climax. This is the heart of Paul's testimony. He said, God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. 
I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. The Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. This is the heart of Paul's testimony. The prophets and Moses, that is the whole Old Testament, are testifying to the Christ. He has come. Jesus fulfills the promises of God and the hope for the world, both to Jew and to Gentile. Jesus doesn't undo or disrupt God's promises. He fulfills them. Second, Paul says the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer. He fulfills the promises, and the promises are that the Messiah would suffer. Jesus went to the cross for us. And part of his going to the cross was to say, look, in your suffering, I am with you. I know your suffering. I care for you. I am with you. The kind, loving, gracious God is with us when we suffer. But Jesus' suffering and death also defeats the power of sin. He's taken sin on himself and defeated it. Sin is done. It's paid for. Paul says the Messiah would suffer and he would rise from the dead. Sin is defeated, but so is death. Death is defeated. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death in his body so that now every enemy of God has been defeated and crushed. In the resurrection, in defeating death, Jesus also exposes the powers and authorities. They rely on death to keep authority. The powers and authorities need death to work. But Jesus exposes the lie. Death does not work. Death has no power. Resurrection wins in the end. What can man do to me? God raises the dead. Death is not Lord. Powers and authorities of the world cannot harm us. Jesus is Lord, and his way is light and life. He preaches good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the downtrodden. And today, this day, is the day of the Lord's favor. Jesus has risen, and he is Lord. Amen? And Jesus, he suffered, he rose from the dead, and he is the first to proclaim light both to Jew and Gentile. The light has come. God is shining his light on the world, and God is with us. And not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles. The light belongs to everyone. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, young and old. The light belongs to all of us. There is no one who is beyond the invitation of God. This is a powerful testimony that Paul gives. He's confronting Agrippa and Festus with the light of Christ. Paul is here as a defense, right? He's in a court scene defending himself. But he ends up testifying to Jesus and confronting the king. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is offering freedom and life to all people, Jew and Gentile. So when we've been wandering around in chains, when we've been living in the darkness, what are we going to do when the light shows up? How will we react? Well, I want to point to three different reactions. So there's Paul's, there's Festus's, and there's Agrippa's. We've already seen Paul's. Jesus is alive. The prophecies are true. All my hopes are fulfilled. Joy and life are found in Christ. I found the light. I'm following Jesus. Festus has lived too long in the dark. 
He's lost the ability to see. His eyes don't work. So when Paul shows up, Festus like, look, prophecies don't come true. The dead don't come back to life. There is just Rome. So when Paul says, look, the Christ has been risen from the dead. He's raised from the dead. Festus goes, as, as Cynthia read so well, you've gone insane, Paul. This doesn't make any sense. He's lived in the dark. He doesn't even have the receptors necessary to see the light. It struck him, but he's not able to see it. When in Rome, right? Do as the Romans do. Rome's violence and death emphasize that death wins. There's no category for raising the dead in the Roman system. So Festus is in chains, in the chains of death and unbelief. What about Agrippa? When Festus says to Paul, look, you've gone insane, Paul, says, Paul rightly turns to Agrippa. He says, look, Agrippa knows what I'm talking about. It, all this happened like in the day, everybody saw this. I'm not saying anything crazy or new. Like this has all happened publicly. And he turns to Agrippa and he asks him a very uh, poignant question. Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. What he's really asking him, as, as uh, one of the commentators, Jennings, points out, he's really asking whether or not belie- Agrippa believes that God has spoken and can still speak. Can God still speak? Is God a God who involves God's own self in history, or is God just out there somewhere? Does God show up or is death in control? Does God really offer us the hope of a resurrection, or is it just up to me to manipulate the world and get along as I can? Does God still speak? And Agrippa's response is tragic. It's a tragic response. Do you think in such short time you can convince me to be a Christian? And really the heart of that answer is this. Look, look around at all that I have, Paul. Look at what I have. I'm wealthy. I have power. I have everything I could ever want. Why would I ever want to be like you and like your Christ? I've got all that I want. Why would I ever want to be like you? It's hard. When we have a lot, when we've spent a life building something, and we've achieved a whole lot, it's hard to give it up. It costs a lot. I remember when I was in high school, um, right before my senior year, I had a lot going for me my senior year. I was going to be a choir president, tennis team, uh, leadership in a couple school clubs. Like, I had, for a, you know, senior in high school, I had a lot. And I remember before my senior year, I remember distinctly believing that God was calling me to give a bunch of that up. And I just said, no. I'm not going to entertain that. Uh, It's too much to give up. And for me, the heart of it was I was going to let some people down and I was going to damage relationships. Letting people down and damaging relationships are things that are really difficult for me to do. Some of you have different struggles. That's one of my key ones. 
And power and status is attractive to me. I don't know what I missed out on by not following God's call, but I just said no. Thankfully, God has given me more opportunities to say yes to him. And I've worked hard to say, okay, even if this damages relationship, I need to do what God's calling me to do. It's hard to follow God when it costs us something. The more we have, the more it costs. Think of the rich young ruler when Jesus goes, when he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, take all you have, sell it, and give the money to the poor and then come follow me. And he's, he can't do it. And Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard to give away a lot. Agrippa can't give it away. You want me to be like you? Look at all, I've got wealth and power. When we're confronted by the light, when it strikes our eyes and confronts us with its power and exposes our deepest desires, what do we do? What do we do when we encounter the light? This passage ends with Festus and Agrippa talking. They say, look, this guy's innocent. We could just let him go, except he's appealed to Caesar. The irony, of course, of that is these guys with so much power, they've given everything they have, they've given their souls away for power. They have no power to set Paul free here at the end. They, it should be easy. It's not hard to do the right thing when you know it's the right thing. But they have no power. They are powerless before Paul's appeal to Caesar. It's tragic. They gave everything up for this. I want to finish with a repeat of verse 23. The Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Jesus came to suffer. But he rose from the dead. And he proclaims light to Jew and to Gentile. The light has come. So this Advent season, I pray that we will not be cave fish, losing our ability to notice the light and even working against it when we do notice it. Instead of getting busy with religious stuff, instead of settling in to enjoy the darkness, instead of focusing on the boundaries and keeping others out, let's be people that wait and watch for the light and follow where it leads. Let us not be like Agrippa, trapped by chains of wealth and power. Let's not be like Festus, trapped by chains of death and unbelief. Instead, let's be like Paul. Even in chains, we'll be free. Jesus is here today, inviting each of us out into his freedom, life, grace, peace, love, joy, and hope. So this Advent, come and find the joy of freedom and light in Jesus. To those who walk in darkness, the light has come. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came and brought life and peace to us. Thank you that you are with us, that you died for us, and that you rose again and you now have power. You are Lord. We praise you today. Jesus, would you... Enlighten us again. Bring your light to us. And Holy Spirit, would you enable us to follow 
as we see the light lead us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you. Amen.